Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be here with my good friend Gary McIntosh on Sozo Talks episode three, where we share thoughts, stories, and conversations to inspire, equip, and transform. And uh, Gary's a good friend of mine. We have been running together for about a decade now. Um, we met while Gary was in college at Texas State. Um, and for us as a church family, Gary was uh, our, our first worship team leader. And uh, just he and his wife, Jen, have been uh, so key in our church family. Um, and not too long ago, they made a, a major life uh, transition and uh, have jumped in with uh, Operation Underground Railroad and are uh, traveling. Um, I'll let him tell you a little bit about that, but I'm just excited to be uh, with Gary. And I love his heart. I believe in him and in the cause that he's He's uh, stepping up to the plate, and I believe it's not just a, uh, a a cool social cause, but it's actually a kingdom cause. And so I'm excited uh, to talk a little bit about that and for uh, us all to, to be challenged and inspired. So Gary, thanks for jumping in. And uh, yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit about uh, you and what you're up to and yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I've done just a couple of interviews and, and things like this since joining Operation Underground Railroad. And I'm really excited about this one because Sozo is our family. It just kind of feels like coming home, even though we're doing it virtually. Um, but uh, we love Sozo. We love this community. And I'm so excited to share this message because it's such a a passion for me. It's um, rooted, I feel, deep in my heart. It's, it's, in my opinion, one of the most important issues of our generation. And uh, except for recently, it just feels like it's not something that gets talked about in mainstream media. Uh, it's definitely not a cocktail hour conversation, so to speak, but that usually doesn't slow me down. Uh, for better or for worse. Um, but it's uh, the issue of child sex slavery. And there's 2 million children right now around the world who are trapped in this bondage. Many, many, many of them are here in the U.S. And in the U.S., we like to say that we eradicated slavery. And there's actually uh, 30 to 40 million people around the world right now that are in slavery. So that's more than there have ever been in the history of the world. So Maybe in policy and law, we've eradicated slavery, but it is a very real thing that's happening around us and would like to dig a little deeper into that today and talk about how Operation Underground Railroad is fighting against that and doing everything they can to rescue kids from that hell on earth. So tell, tell us uh, just a little bit about your journey to connect with Operation Underground Railroad. Yeah, I ran into OUR for short a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I know a lot of people here, so it's, you know, I can talk a little bit about some of the things that we've been doing for the last couple of years. I've never been a real social activist or, or you know, nonprofit follower, so to speak. Many of you know or might know that Jen and I have done a lot of kids ministry over the years. So kids are definitely close to our heart, but 
a, a particular issue like this is not something that we we sought after. One night, I, honestly, if I'm fully candid, I was just a little bit bored and I was just kind of flipping through Amazon Prime. I happened to stumble across this documentary. It's called Operation Two Saint. And it details how this one man, Tim Ballard, left the Department of Homeland Security where he was an operator for about 12 years and ended up starting this nonprofit. So he was fighting these child trafficking rings while working with the Department of Homeland Security and he kept running into jurisdictional issues. He kept finding out where these kids were around the world, but he actually wasn't able to do anything about it because it wasn't a U.S. crime. And his frustrations grew and he kept running into more situations like this. And finally he decided, and it was really because of one boy in Haiti, he decided to leave his pension, his salary, his job and start this nonprofit get private funding and go after these kids all over the world. And so he took that leap of faith. I was watching this documentary and I was just so inspired by that story. Somebody just taking ownership and, and realizing a, a very real dark need that exists in the world and basically just raising their hand and saying, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make a difference. And I was so inspired by that story. I made Jen watch that documentary. I made our friends watch that documentary. And for a couple of years, I was incredibly just just diving deeper and deeper and deeper into this. I was so passionate about it. It's like my hands were on fire and I just wanted to do anything I could to make a difference. Jen and I even started uh, hot chocolate stands and lemonade stands around San Marcos and in our neighborhood. And we just, we just wanted the opportunity to talk to people about this issue, to, to open their eyes. And we just felt like the majority of people sort of knew that sex slavery existed. Maybe they've heard about it happening in, in third world countries, especially in our circle. Um, you know, a, a really good and healthy communities tend to, to look at issues like that. Um, but, but if you would have told me that it was right here in, in our backyard, so to speak. I, I think that's that's the leap and and the awakening that I had that I just didn't understand that it was it was so close to home. So for a couple of years, we followed OUR uh, January first this year, and and I wouldn't normally maybe be this descriptive about how I landed on OUR, but I just feel like it was such a testimony. But January first this year, I was sitting on my couch and I just felt prompted to go check out OUR's LinkedIn page. There was a job posted there. It was the only place the job was posted. Uh, I applied to it, had some similarities to some work I was doing in Austin for the last 10 years or so. Yeah, they got back to me within 24 hours. And a couple of weeks later, I was flying out to Utah where the organization is based, meeting with some of the leadership team. And uh, for whatever reason, they decided to make an outside hire and take a chance on me. We'll see if that was a good idea. But uh, here we are, and um, you know we're, we're all in. Well, man, that's exciting. Um, if you don't know Gary, he, he would be slow to say it, but Gary's got uh, an MBA. He uh, had a, a pretty high-level job, and so for him to make that move, I know, um, is not uh, just a, a flippant choice um, and not just chasing excitement, but really responding to uh, God's call in his life. And, and I think one of the things that I, I saw you go through was this season of holy frustration where uh, 
like what you were doing no longer had uh, you didn't have contentment in it. You, it was like God was like stirring you for something uh, more. Could you take just a second just to kind of talk about that season? Because I think a lot of times as God's preparing us for the next thing, He frustrates us in the current thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I was being exposed to things in my last job that really grew me professionally and really challenged me personally, Joel, you know, some of those things. Uh, and, and, uh, I think actually more than anything though, it was Jen. I mean, Jen was just so ready to experience things as a family, to adventure together as a family. And before, I mean, I told you January 1st is when I found this job our house was listed in October. So uh, that sounds a little bit crazy. And I, it, I feel like it was almost prophetic of her to take that step and say, you know, we're on our way to following our dreams, following our passions. One of the things that Jen's been talking about for a couple of years is this idea that we would travel around the U.S. And what's crazy is as we kept following OUR, we felt like that needed to be a piece of our travels. So our plan before I even had this job, before I even knew this job existed, was to go to 12 different locations around the country, stay a month in each place, figure out somehow how to work remotely. I didn't have a job that would allow me to do that yet, but we were on our way to discover that. And we were going to actually raise money for OUR. And this plan, I know this sounds sort of unbelievable, but this plan was in place prior to even knowing that OUR had a need like that. And so that was our plan. And Jen listed our house in October. And three months later, October 1st, she listed our house. January 1st is when I applied for that role. And it's just crazy to think in hindsight now that we were already going to do all of the things that I'm doing. So for the next year, we are traveling around the U.S., but I'm doing that in an official capacity because in my interview, I brought up the plan for us to travel around the country they thought about it for a minute and they were like, you know what? I think that this actually serves us because there's an opportunity to raise awareness in other places around the country. And if, if that doesn't just, you know, make you stop and think about divine intervention, I don't know what will, but that's what <laughs> we feel like. And we're just pinching ourselves that God has seemingly kind of laid this out before us. And, you know, we have, we have, uh, we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about actually what OUR does and some of the ways that we're combating trafficking around the world. But we have operators in many, many countries around the world. These are ex Navy SEALs, these are uh, ex law enforcement, ex CIA, ex Department of Homeland Security. So these are operatives that are trained to go undercover and investigate. And these individuals are of all different types of faiths. I mean, some of them pray before missions. Some of them, you know, do listen to, you know, death metal before missions, whatever they're going to do to kind of get themselves ready to go. And they come from all different backgrounds, all different faiths. But I just feel like for a cause like this, God is going to use anyone who's willing and anyone who's really looking at it and saying, I can make a difference. God's using them to rescue these children. And I have story after story after story of God just providing in these really dark and and evil and dark, darkest corner of humanity situations in order for us to find these kids and and get them out and get them safe. That's incredible. I love it. I think God loves to intervene and especially, you know, the just 
just kids. I think kids are, are such on the heart of God and people who whose uh, wills have been taken from them. So share just a little bit um, about the, the, the global issue of um, child sex trafficking and slavery and, and what that kind of looks like so we could get a, a big picture view of what's going on. Yeah, the, the average child in sex slavery is 12. And... Wow. It just breaks your heart when you think about it. And, uh, you know, the cases that we've seen, there's no minimum age for this. And uh, these kids are just, they're just in hell on earth. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a $150 billion industry. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around the context of that. So I did a little research. If you add up Starbucks, if you add up Dell, if you add up every single NFL team, that's $150 billion in revenue. And that's how large trafficking is around the world. Wow. I mentioned earlier that there's estimated between 30 and 40 million slaves currently, right now, in the world. A quarter of them are children. There's 10 million and they're sold for organ harvesting. They're sold for forced labor. And of course, they're sold for sex. There's an estimated 2 million there's, there's, uh, you know, you have such a high, high range and, and disparity there, 30 to 40 million, because in many cases, this is illegal. Um, in many countries, this is illegal. And so it's probably well underreported, well underreported, these numbers. People ask us why, why is this? It's, it's, it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the history of the world. So it's just surpassed drug trade and it's projected to surpass uh, I'm sorry, it's just per, uh, past gun trade. It's projected to surpass drug trade. And people ask us why. why. Why is this so prevalent? Why is it growing so quickly? And the reality is, is you can sell a bag of cocaine once. You can sell a precious child five to 10 times a day for years. And that's the reality that they live in. People, you know, powers that be, they want us to call it... Um, you know, child exploitation, uh, sex with a minor. And we call it child rape videos and, and, and child rape because that's what it is. There's no consent from somebody who's a minor. They don't, they don't have the opportunity to give consent. It, it's, it's, it's illegal and it's heinous and it's the worst that you can imagine. And so, um, yeah, that's what, that's what we're dealing with on a, on a global scale. It wow. happens. It happens right here in the U S a lot of people are surprised to learn that, 30% of the cases that we work are actually right here in the U.S. Man, that's just heartbreaking. That's just, yeah. yeah. So what, what do you guys, what do you do? What, what does OUR do as an organization to step into this? Yeah, so we're currently in 25 countries around the world. We're in 28 states now. We, we added a new state this week, thankfully. And what we do is, I mentioned earlier, we have trained operatives that go undercover they go into these dark corners, massage parlors, brothels, orphanages that aren't really orphanages. And they actually act like individuals who would want to participate in acts like this. So they have to act like a pedophile or act like somebody who's interested in trafficking kids. And they try to get the traffickers or the individuals who are selling these kids to conduct a, a transaction, right? So it's, it's, it's much like sort of being in that drug trafficking circle if, if you've seen movies or, or heard stories about that. 
And these guys are literally putting their lives on the line day in, day out. They go in, they're unarmed. They, they have to act like, like party boys. And one thing I wanted to mention was the reason why Tim originally and now all the guys that he's trained to, to do these undercover operations, the reason why there's such good bait is because they look like and act like the people who are normally going overseas to buy these kids. And if, you, if, if you're a white male, you fit that persona. You fit the bill. And so that's why they're, they're, they're such good undercover operators because they look, they look and act like the individuals who are normally coming over there. Well, and so what our guys do is, is they gather evidence. They have hidden cameras, hidden, hidden uh, audio devices, and they're gathering all this evidence. We're a nonprofit, so we actually don't have jurisdiction to make arrests. It's really important that we partner with local law enforcement. We're actually often invited into these places. We're, we're not vigilantes. We don't go and kick down doors. We're, we're not in places we shouldn't be. And the reason is, is not because we, we wouldn't want to do that, but the reason why we wouldn't want to do that is because we have to make sure that we conduct ourselves in a way that's ultimately going to lead to the arrest of those individuals who are selling those kids. Yeah. And so we gather that evidence and we put on, typically we'll put on like a, like a fake party, you know, for El Jefe that, that, uh, that is a fake person, right? We're going to, our bosses come in, we want to have all these kids. He really likes kids, that sort of thing. And so we get all the kids in one place. We get all the traffickers in one place. All this is being filmed. There's hidden cameras everywhere around the room. And once that transaction takes place, local law enforcement rushes in. They arrest everybody, including our operators, because we don't want to blow their cover, right? And at the same time, we're getting the kids out and we're making those arrests. And then we hand over all of that evidence that we've been gathering for the weeks or months leading up to that mission. And, and to ensure we're part of the prosecution process as well, to ensure that those guys actually end up behind bars and we can stop the cycle from happening again. So a lot of people that know us, they know us maybe because of our rescue missions, if they've seen some of our video content, if they've seen documentaries and that sort of thing. But what people don't often know is that more than 50% of our resources and effort is focused on aftercare because rescue is only half the mission. And we say that a child is not really rescued unless they're healed. And so contrary to popular belief, we actually won't rescue a child until we know for certain that there is an aftercare home available to take them. And we partner with them as they grow up. We partner, we provide food, shelter, clothing, uh, vocational skills, education opportunities, anything they need to have the life that they're entitled to have, right? Or, or we feel that they deserve to have as God's precious children. So uh, we follow them. And sometimes even, even beyond that for business loans and things like that, we just want to do everything we can to make sure that they don't get pulled back into that lifestyle and into, into that world. So we liberate the children. We put them in aftercare. Um, to date, we've rescued almost nearly 4,000 survivors. We've almost hit our 4,000 mark. We've rescued over 2,100 pedophiles and traffickers. And we're actually in charge of over 6,000 individuals in aftercare. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Man. So, uh, I, th I think it's easy to think about this being a, uh, a problem overseas and other places, but the truth is it's happening around the corner in our neighborhoods um, in the U.S. What, what does it look like in the U.S.? Yeah, so sometimes I get the question as to, you know, why, why law enforcement isn't doing more about this, right? And there, there's a, a myriad of reasons 
for that. Um, there, there, there certainly is training for this in, in every law enforcement agency around the country. But the issue is that in order to, you know, cases like this don't just normally fall in their lap. I mean, you, there, there's a lot of proactive work that has to go into this. I mean, you have to actually go into these places in order to discover this activity. It's, it's not like, um, you know, children, they, they don't have a voice for themselves. And, and, and we'll, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later in, in this conversation, hopefully. Children don't have a voice for themselves. They're not speaking out about these crimes. Many of them don't even know that it's a crime that's being, uh, that's being done to them. So um, you have to really be proactive and, and seek out these opportunities. And, they may, and law enforcement agencies may not have the funding they may not have the technology. They may not have the the, the deep skill and and training that that our organization has, just because of the experience of our our operators. And so we partner with law enforcement here in the U.S. We're we're, we're donating technology to them. We're, we're donating. This is cool. We have these uh, electronic device detection canines. So if you think of a drug sniffing dog, it's the exact same concept. So. Uh, People that want to exploit children online, they'll with child with rape videos or or pornographic images, they'll store these these things on hard drives and thumb drives, and they'll actually hide them under their carpet or behind walls or in safes, what have you. And these dogs can actually detect where they are, and they've led to over a hundred arrests themselves. They've 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 led to like five percent of of the arrests that we've made. They found the evidence that that allowed us to prosecute and, and arrest these children. So we partner with law enforcement all over the U.S. There's, uh, the U.S. is the highest demand for child pornography. Wow. U.S. is, is the demand. It's, it's, the, it's in the top three for the highest destination for people to be trafficked into. And so um, it's happening in the U.S. It's happening across our borders. And uh, these, these vulnerable kids, are, they get taken from their homes. When they arrive, sometimes it's for false work. People get trafficked in here for, for the, uh, you know, a false job ad or something like that. And when they land, their papers get taken. So they, they have no way to seek help from authorities. They're there, you know, illegally. They have no way to get another job or, or, or work any other sort of profession and they're completely stuck and um, and, and that's what happens. Now, that's the, the trafficking situation I think, especially in light of COVID and what's been going on, there's been a million, million more cases reported of, um, of, of predatory, predatory behavior against children online since, since COVID started. A million. Yeah. 90% increase between this year and last year during the same time period. Man. And this is one thing as an organization that we... Um, we've been voicing about is that there, there is, you know, I don't, this isn't a political issue. This is a bipartisan issue, by the way, this is not, it's not a, I mean, in, in my personal opinion, it, it's, it's a huge kingdom issue. It's a huge God issue, but it is definitely not a political issue. It, it, it's far beyond that. We need both sides of the aisle to, to combat this, this issue. But having said that there is one group of, of people who do not want children to go back to school, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's, their, it's their playground right now. It's a pedophile's playground right now, if I could be graphic and, and, and you know, realistic about that. And so 
there's there's uh, there you know there's a huge increase in, in online activity, and that's another way that we partner with law enforcement. We teach them how to set up these these online stings. They're acting like peers, or they're acting like what we call Johns, who would be in, people who are interested in, in in having sex with children, and they are putting on investigations where we try to. Um, you know, it, uh, result in actually getting these people to come to a certain location for for that purpose, and we can we can make the arrest. and um, And sometimes there's kids involved. Sometimes kids are being exploited in in, in basements or, or what have you, and their images are getting you know spread out. Their videos are getting spread out all all over the internet, and we're allowed to rescue them as well. Um, through finding who these traffickers are and, and, and who these predators are. So that's another way that we're working in the U.S. to combat this issue. So there, there's an obvious correlation between yeah. uh, pornography and trafficking. W- w- would you just clarify kind of that, that connection and what that means? This is not based on an opinion. This is not based on a, a political stance or, or even a, a religious principle. This is based on the hundreds and hundreds of people that we've interviewed and investigated that have that want to hurt kids. A hundred percent of traffickers are addicted to pornography. Well, a hundred percent of the men that rape children, they're porn addicts. Hundred percent. Well, we we haven't come to a case where that is where, where that is not true, and we're talking about hundreds of individuals that we've interviewed, and so porn creates the demand for sex with children. Now, um, I've gotten into these conversations on, on you know, uh, other interviews and things like that. And obviously not everybody who watches porn is wants to have sex with kids. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying those that do want to have sex with kids, 100% of them is because they're, they're porn addicts. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is these individuals... They say, I'll stop at 17, I'll stop at 16, I'll stop at 15. And then before you know it, they're on a plane to some other third world country trying to have sex with kids or trying to find kids in their area to to have sex with. As I mentioned before, the U.S. has the highest consumption for child pornography. So we're the demand. The other side of that is that people don't real are, are they're under the lie or the assumption that most of porn is consensual. And it's not. It's not. Most of porn is not consensual. It, it drives trafficking all over the world. People are literally taken from their homes for the specific purpose to live out of some horrific environment to make porn videos every day. And they're forced to have sex. They're, they're abused. They're treated um, less than human in order to, so some, some exploiter can, can cast that on the internet and, and, and make money off of it. And so, and there's sites out there too. I don't know if you've seen, uh, you know, recent news on this, Joel, but there's, I mean, parents, I just have to tell you that, that porn has changed. Okay. Over, Over the last decade, porn has changed. It can be found by anybody. Every kid is like three clicks away from it. It's not hard to find. It's, it's, it's as graphic as you want for free, for free. Any, I mean, it, there, there's so many sites that, that you can go to and things are posted without consent. I mean, victims are re-traumatized over and over and over for their entire life because they're raped on a video and that's put out on the internet for, for the whole world to see. 
and they have to they have to live in that reality. There's no, I mean, there's there's years of of lawsuits if they can afford it to try to get that stuff taken down. And there's and these sites they the sites want to make money. They do not care about consent. They do not care about rape. And they're just going to keep broadcasting that that material. I mean, there are millions, millions of child porn, pornographic images traded online every day in the dark web. Yeah. And one of the things that OUR has worked on is, is proprietary software and algorithms to identify where the source of that, that information is coming from on the web. And that's something that we also partner with law enforcement to make sure that they have those tools and they can identify where those things are, are being posted on the internet. Man, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yes. And, and so... Uh, Porn and sex trafficking are, are really linked, and that's not just child pornography. That that's uh, adult pornography, and then it's also connected to prostitution, whether it's legal or illegal. Can you can you just speak into that for for a minute? Yeah, you know, and there 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 are groups who who advocate for for legal prostitution. Um, and again, this, this isn't, um, this isn't a stance. I, 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 what I can give you is what we've experienced as an organization, what we see every day as an organization and where there's legal prostitution, where there's illegal prostitution, there are always kids. There's always kids, but they may not be out, out in the open. Um, but there's always kids behind closed doors. And I mean, our operators, uh, Tim will tell you, actually one of the first missions that we ran was in Colombia. He was on a beach for 20 minutes in Cartagena and he was, he was able to get somebody to solicit him kids for sex. For, he was there for 20 minutes. I mean, that, that's, that's, how, that's how open and apparent it is. And, and if you know the right places to go, it's just not hard to find. And that, that, is, that is probably the most heartbreaking thing I've, I've said on, on, this, on this call uh, among many. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interrelated. And, you know, in, in my mind, it, it, it's so, so, so difficult to separate those things because where we see prostitution, we also see kids. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking, devastating. It's it's a it's a real issue, and I and I think about um, even the the numbers um, of men, and actually stats would say women also that that wrestle with pornography and, and tend to think uh, that it's uh, it it's just an innocent thing, right? Like it's that thing's already been done, that image is already posted, that whatever, and and, um, and somehow don't see how all of that that plays into each other. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's the message, right? I mean, that's that's the heart behind it. And um you know, personal even in my personal life, really really having that understanding forever changed me in that regard. I mean, really having the understanding of how connected those things are. It, it, it really exposes the evil of it, right? It really exposes the evil of it. And, and for me, it really exposed God's heart on that issue as well. I mean, and, and there's science behind this. Fight the New Drug is an amazing organization that, that really brings these things to light. And it's a, it, you know, there's so many people that struggle with pornography. And, and it, it is my... my <laughs> deepest belief that God does not have shame for us. 
Mm -hmm. And fight the new drug really, really allows people to look at the issue without judgment, without shame, so that they can educate themselves on what is driving them. I mean, you know, porn acts very much like a drug. I mean, the neurotransmitters involved. I mean, the the dopamine hit that people get when when they look at porn, it, it is it is it is almost identical to somebody who might be addicted to, to a drug. And, and, and that's why this organization is called fight the new drug. I mean, it's, it's such, and it's just like the enemy to take something that's meant to be holy and sacred between man and woman and pervert it and, and, and twist it and, and make it something that it's, it's not make it, make it something that is far away from God. And so I just encourage anyone who is, stuck right now in, in, in that addiction, stuck right now in that world to really look at what is driving that content and what is driving that demand. Um, this is, you know, I, I don't know how many encounters you've been to Joel and, and I've, I've certainly been to a few and it, it is, it is just such a, a problem in, in every community in the U S and, and I just feel strongly that if people really looked at the issue that way, that they might have that same heart change that, that I've experienced in my life. So just bottom line, what you're saying is free pornography. That, that click is actually a, a vote, a, a funding mechanism for trafficking. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, the U.S. is the demand. I mean, we're, we're the demand. And, that, and that's, you know, it, okay, so I think of it this way. Like, like OUR, I mean, we're a, a, a bottom... I have to be careful about how, how I say this because I don't want to put a negative connotation on it. But I mean, we're catching kids as they're falling off the waterfall. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're, like these kids are already in this hell on earth. They're already living it. And thank God that, that we're able to do what we can do and, and in that for them and, and take them out of that. But what do you do about the demand? Yeah. What do you do about the demand on, on a global scale? And in my mind, this is, this is, this is an upstream effort to, to actually fight for the hearts of men in the U.S. to not keep driving the demand of trafficking around the world. And men and women, as you said. I mean, that's absolutely true. Men and women around the world that, that are just driving this demand. Like, like, let's fight for their hearts, too, so that these kids never end up in the situation that they're in. Yeah. Yeah, so, so really the, the issue is, is it's not just a, a fixed trafficking issue. It becomes a hard issue that I think the, the church needs to lead uh, in, the, in the, the forefront of. So let, let's talk about, we kind of have a, at least a 40,000 foot view of kind of some of, some of the issue. Let's talk about what, what does a kingdom response look like um, to to trafficking, uh, to sex exploitation, um, to the rape of, of minors. I don't think anybody would disagree with me that this is this is a huge injustice that we're facing in the world, mm-hmm. and um, you know we take a lot of parallels with the name Operation Underground Railroad. We take a lot of parallels from transatlantic slave days all the way up to the Civil War, uh, the abolition of slavery around Abraham Lincoln, and even all the civil rights that we're, we're even still healing from as a country right now, today. 
we take a lot of draws from that time because I think history, at least in our, in our mission as an organization, history has really taught us a lot about the things that we need to focus on to raise awareness and get the word out. So one example of that is that in those days in the North, you, you probably would never encounter a slave. You, you'd, never, you'd never see a slave. You, you knew that it existed sort of in some far off place, but it wasn't really a part of your economy directly anyway. And, and it wasn't something that you witnessed with your own eyes. There's a lady, her name is Harriet Beecher Stowe, and she wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uncle Tom's Cabin was one of the first widespread publications that really sort of opened up the reality that humans were living in in slavery. And it was sent everywhere. There, there, was, there was millions of copies published. Abraham Lincoln is actually credited at thanking Harriet Beecher Stowe for, for writing that book because it really opened people's eyes up to the issue. And I think that this is such a compelling issue, Joel, that if people just really sat down and they're starting to do that, I mean, so we, we have seen a wave of attention on this issue, even in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I feel like this interview between you and I is so timely because people are really actually taking a look at this issue right now. And that is what drives change. That is what drives large scale change. And that's what happened in, in the civil war days is that, is that people started to get on board for this injustice and started to, I mean, these are regular people that, that risk their lives and risk their resources and risk their network to create this underground railroad to allow people to, to get free. And that's what we need for this issue. Now we need regular people. We need accountants. We need doctors. We need lawyers. We need graphic artists. We need salespeople. I mean, everybody to get involved and say, I have a network. I have an influence. I have a unique skill set. What can I do to solve this problem? And so we have our operators, they don't let me do any dangerous things uh, for good reason. I'd probably mess things up if, if I was ever in a situation like that. But I have a, a, you know, some, some skill set that I feel like God has been preparing me for that allows me to contribute in some way um, to this issue. And I know that everybody else can say that too. So um, the kingdom response is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to take ownership of your network and your influence and, and, and creating awareness in those places. These are God's precious children. We can't ignore this. We can't overlook it. It's all around us. And we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in order to change the, the trajectory in the way that it's currently going. Exactly. That's, yep. Brilliant, brilliantly said. So I think one of the, one of the issues is, uh, I think it's the, the temptation is to try uh, to fi- fix an external problem that's really an internal problem also. Um, and, and so Jesus said that he came to, to set the, the captives free and proclaim release for prisoners. And, and so how that is actually not just an out there issue, but it's also an issue in my own heart, um, whether it's, uh, an issue of apathy or, uh, actually recognizing, um, maybe w- where, uh, addiction to pornography actually plays into it. Um, and, and, and that it's also something that, that we, I don't just look inside, but it seems to me like, like a, a lot of the starting place is, is an internal starting place, um, before, uh, I try to fix the problem out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's part of ownership, right? It's, it's really reflecting and trying to identify, am I contributing to this problem anyway, in any way? And if I am, let me stop doing that. And then the second step is, what can I do to help others go on that journey as well? And what can I do to be proactive about the issue in my community? So I think for me as a pastor, one of the things that I get fired up about in this conversation, I want to see uh, people activated um, to be a a hands and feet part of the solution, but but to see, uh, especially men, but women also um, set free uh, from that addiction to pornography, because I believe Jesus has that for people. I believe that his, the, the power of the cross of Jesus and his resurrection uh, mean that I don't have to stay stuck. And, and if we can uh, start to help people get whole in that area, then we, we start shutting down the, the flow that leads to the waterfall that kids are fall, falling off of. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what does it look like for those who are listening to get uh, involved um, in uh, what OUR is doing? How, how can we um, join uh, your efforts? So our founder, Tim Ballard, has been saying for a couple of years that he'll come home from these operations and our operators will come home from these operations and see some of the things that get you know, mainstream media attention and, and are on the headlines. And it, it's just such a dichotomy from the world that they're coming from and, and, you know, the things that they're seeing. And, and they're asking themselves, why, why is this not something that everyone wants to talk about and, and, and stop, you know, and, and come together on? And uh, for whatever reason, this, this Wayfair conspiracy and, and Epstein and, and Maxwell you know, all of these things that are, that are getting a little bit of media attention right now, people are, are just sort of starting to really look at this issue in a way that we have, we've been praying for and hoping for, for, for many, many years. And so um, with different demonstrations and, and protests, we all know happening over, over the last few months, we decided that, you know, we wanted to raise a voice for vulnerable children around the world that can't take the streets and speak up for the injustices that are, that are happening to them. So um, we, we started a campaign. It's called Rise Up. Right now, you can find more information at OURrescue.org forward slash Rise Up. And July 30th is World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. And all over the country and even internationally, we have pockets of individuals who are leading peaceful demonstrations, socially distanced demonstrations. And there's actually one happening in Austin on July 30th. Uh, it's taking place near the Capitol in Austin. It's from 5 to 7 p.m. I'm actually going to be there with my family. And all we're doing is we're just promoting awareness that there are children right now who are in slavery and they need help. They need resources. They need funding. We, we need things as an organization to continue to expand into other countries and continue to expand into other states here in the U.S. And we're just raising a voice for, for these children. So you can find out more information about that on our website. Um, our hashtags right now are Rise Up, 
get loud, inhuman trafficking. Those are the types of things that we're talking about and, and promoting on social media. And so I'm inviting everyone in, in Sozo community to come join us in Austin on July 30th. We're going to be out there and we would love to see you there as well, standing up for this issue. Outside of that, um, we, you can go to our website as well. And uh, we love our, our abolitionist club. Our abolitionists give monthly donations to the organization, $1 a month, up to thousands of dollars a month, whatever your capacity is, whatever your heart's telling you to do. I encourage you to, to join that club. They actually fund almost 40% of all the missions that we run, our recurring don- don- donors. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, we love that group and they provide so much for us as an organization. It's, we call it the small army. We also have um, our, so we have um, different ways for individuals to get involved. Uh, I alluded to this earlier, but whatever skill set you have, whether it's marketing or graphic design, we always have projects that are popping up that we, we need assistance with. And it's a way for us to invite people into this mission with us and, and join the fight with us. What did you call that? I think you cut out on that part. part. Our, uh... oh, our OUR volunteer group. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and you can you can. Uh, there's two there's two steps to that. So we have some training on our website that uh, is called Know the Signs, and our leadership is actually going to walk you through how to spot trafficking in your area, what to do about it, what resources are available to you uh, to to step into that issue, and then once you complete that training, you can actually apply to be a, an official volunteer of OUR, and that leads to all those opportunities I mentioned. Awesome. Man, Gary, I uh, so appreciate your time and your work and, and look forward um, to watching how God uh, uses you and, and what it looks like uh, to run together because I believe this is one of the greatest issues of our day and it, it demands a kingdom response. I don't think that we can pass on the other side of the road and pretend like it's not happening. Yeah, really appreciate this opportunity, Joel. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time. <laughs>